As you're getting settled, let me invite you to open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7, where we will be reading together. We're turning back to the greatest sermon of all, Matthew chapter 7, as our launching point. And I would love it if you would have a Bible open, or activated, turned on, scrolled over to Matthew chapter 7. Thank you so much for being here on this beautiful summer morning. We have a number of guests with us. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. We want to spend the next few minutes hearing from God, allowing God to shape our hearts and our minds, our conceptions, our hopes for the future, the way that we're building and what we're building, our relationships, all of this is touched on in what we are going to read and reflect upon, study, and, and hopefully encourage other, others in using God's Word. I, I have a tag team partner today. We really have a, a, a two-part series this morning and this evening. I'm talking foundations, and Roger, Lord willing, this evening at 5 o'clock p.m., we'll be talking about what we're building on those foundations, but specifically we want to talk about marriage. We have many members of our church family who are newlyweds, very newlyweds, some just back from their honeymoon, some still very much in that honeymoon stage. We have many who are engaged, many who one day would like to be married. We are all surrounded by others who are married. We hear a lot about marriage in popular culture and in media. This is just a part of life under the sun, marriage. But we don't want to take anything for granted today. I most certainly don't want you to take my word for anything that we're going to talk about today. I'm, I'm not sharing with you from the deep fountain of my own wisdom. I am still very, very, very much a student on this front. But I know a good teacher. In fact, he is the master teacher. And if we will give him a fair hearing this morning, and if we will do our best to look past the input of popular culture, if we will look past our own traditions in the Western world, and, and if we will just listen to what he has to say, whether you're married today or not, really just about everything we're going to talk about in God's Word this morning applies to you. Because as we've read... This is not just a firm foundation for marriage. This is a firm foundation for life. And so is your Bible open there to Matthew chapter 7? This is the conclusion of Jesus' great sermon on the mount. And of all the ways he could draw it to a close, this is how he does it. Beginning in Matthew chapter 7 verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. 
But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. What does it look like to found our individual lives? Specifically, this morning, what does it look like to found marriage on the rock? Go with me to the fourth gospel. We have four gospels that tell us all about Jesus. I want to read with you next from John chapter 12. We just heard from Matthew hearing, recording for us, words of Jesus pointing out a foundation, a a foundation that is stronger than anything you and I could build. It is stronger than, than anything that human culture can put together and it's not that rain isn't going to fall and winds aren't going to blow and floods aren't going to rise. No, again, that also is at times a part of life under the sun. Whether we get married or not, there are going to be tough days, challenging weeks, exhausting months, seasons of life, maybe multiple seasons of life that that really stretch us and, and test us. But Jesus has pointed us to, here's where you have to build. In fact, if we had kept reading, he points us to the alternative. There there are some who build their lives. We could just as easily say, build their marriages on sand and rain is still going to fall and floods are still going to rise and, and wind is still going to blow. But if I have founded my life, my marriage, my, uh, my relationships, my identity, as Roger talked with us about the last three Sunday mornings, if I found my conception of my purpose on sand, and all that Jesus means by that is, I don't pay attention to what he says. I, I act like I know better than him. I act like maybe as human beings we have evolved beyond. We, we've become so sophisticated. Who really needs Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the 21st century? Then I am building my life on sand. Listen, my creator tells me so. And it will not go well for my individual life, my relationships, my marriage. And so what's it look like to be founded not on sand but on the rock? Could I, could I lean on this master teacher and suggest to you that, number one, foundations that are firm for marriage are defined by this cornerstone truth. Jesus is Lord. Everything else that I talk about this morning, I have every confidence, everything that Roger talks with us about this evening, it's all built on this. Here is the cornerstone of it all. We'll talk about other foundation stones in the next few minutes. Here is the cornerstone of it all. Let's listen to him in John chapter 12. Look in the latter part of that chapter. John chapter 12 and verse 24. Where the master teacher says, 
Truly, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if that grain of wheat dies, it bears much fruit. Now we hear Jesus talking like that on many occasions in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And, and the great thing about it is he doesn't just say that thing and immediately move on to something completely else altogether. No, he, he'll get our attention and we, if we're paying attention, we scratch our heads and we say, if you're like me, well, I'm... I'm not exactly sure I know what he's talking about. Is, is it about grain, literally, or is it about more than that? And if we will just listen, he shows us exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about life. He's talking about my life. He's talking about your life. Whoever is his next word. And whoever has life given to them by God needs to listen because this is what life is really all about. It's so much bigger than houses and vehicles and boats and vacations and jobs and stuff and all of the things that if we were to Stop a hundred people out on the street today and say, what's life all about? Well, we might get some good and some pretty short-sighted answers, but listen, we're digging down deep to the foundation, and here's the cornerstone of it all. Whoever loves his life, think in terms of what I love most, what I put first, what is the biggest rock around which everything else flows around if I make it all just about me and in my life I expect everything to flow around me this is what I want this is how I look at the world this is how I make judgments these are my opinions these are my whims these are my wishes these are my dreams and I would appreciate it very much. Maybe I will even demand that if in any way, shape, or form you're married to me or you're in my household or we just cross paths in the grocery store, listen, it's all about me and I expect you to flow around me. There are plenty of people who live their God-given time with that way of looking at the world. And listen, our Creator says that's a great way. In fact, that's a guaranteed way not just to waste your life, but to lose your life. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world, think in terms of, it's really easy for me to put myself first, but I'm not going to put myself first. I have a choice. I'm going to put God first. And then I'm going to put others next. And so I'm going to be a little 
down the rung, maybe several rungs of priority in my own life, I'm, I'm going to use my life as a, a sacrifice to God and I'm going to put others ahead of myself. My Creator says, that's how you keep it. In fact, now you're grabbing the door handle to eternal life. You see, life as intended by our Creator is not about my supremacy, my sovereignty. I don't have a kingdom. You are not supreme. We have gathered together this morning in the name of the one who is, and he is telling us, you want to build your life on the rock? You, you, you want to save your life and ultimately enjoy eternal life? Be a servant. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That is what Jesus means when he says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Listen, there are plenty of people today, this week, this month, the rest of this year, there will be plenty of people as long as this world stands who will say, I am number one. I'm going to live like I'm number one. If you choose to come into my life and as long as you're willing to treat me as number one, well, we'll probably get along okay. But if you stop treating me as number one, I'm out of here. Or you're out of here. One, one way or another. And the word that Jesus uses to describe the outlook of that person is alone. That's a great way to destroy human relationships. That's a great way to live without a relationship with God. And guess what? If I insist on living without God now, He will give me what I insisted upon for eternity. But if I will die, if I will bury my ego, if I will say, God, I want nothing more than you because you and your steadfast love are better than life, and so I need you to help me build this sort of life in a messed up world, he says, that's what I'm looking for. In Luke's gospel, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life, remember, think in terms of nobody, no thing is bigger than me. Great way to lose your life. But whoever loses his, whoever is like that grain of wheat that I want to die so that I can live. Ego dies. Supremacy dies. Jason's little made-up kingdom in his head has to die so that I can enjoy life abundant as provided and prescribed by my Creator. That's how you save your life. 
And listen, the master teacher says, this isn't complicated. What's it going to profit you if you game the whole world and you get to hold on to it for an entire month or an entire year? Or you've got the whole world for an entire decade or a few decades. And you lose everything for eternity. What have you gained? If you gain the whole world, you're able to climb the highest corporate ladders. You have more followers, more fans. Your influence spreads in ways that no human being's influence has ever spread. You are the toast of the town. You, everyone looks up for you. I mean, when you walk in a room, everybody's just in awe. But you lose your marriage. You lose your relationship with your kids. You don't have a relationship with the author of life. And for a, a really little while, you, you were pretty cool. But then you spend eternity separated from God. You lived like a fool. Because you didn't build your house on the rock. Go with me to the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 1. Toward the end of our Bibles, Colossians chapter 1. We have returned several times this year to Colossians chapter 1 as the, the defined starting point of everything. And it applies here. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the starting point. Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul helps us Put this into words. What a great reminder. I need this reminder every seven days. The Lord knew I would need this reminder every first day of the week. Listen to the language. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. From the day we heard, Paul says, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual understanding and wisdom so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What's the cornerstone of a firm foundation? Jesus is Lord. Whatever we build, we want to be fully pleasing to Him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Look down at verse 15. Is He worthy of being called Lord? Colossians 1.15. He's the image of the invisible God. No human being has ever been or ever will be able to say that. He's the firstborn of all creation. You and I are late to the game. By Him all things were created. Everything that we make eventually break down. Every human made thing eventually fails. Not Him. Whether in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for him. He's before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through 
him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. Listen to this. As long as there has been more than one human being, as long as there have been any human beings with which to have a relationship, there has been conflict. on page 3 of your Bible. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames Adam. They both blame God. Page 4 of your Bible, one brother murders another, and it goes downhill from there. As long as there have been human beings, there has been conflict. As long as there has been marriage, there have been difficulties at times in marriage. But I'm not here to share with you the latest New York Times bestseller on how to have a harmonious marriage. We're looking past everything that human beings have ever written or said back to the cornerstone. The one who makes peace by the blood of his cross and tells us if you're going to follow me, it's time for you to pick up a cross as well. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. As you received Christ Jesus, his name is Jesus. He's the anointed one, the Messiah. And here's the foundation of everything. The only way to have a truly firm foundation on this earth, in this life. Jesus is Lord. So walk in him. Be rooted in him. Be built up in him. Be established by faith in him. Just as you were taught. That's how you abound in thanksgiving. Now, the biggest stone of a foundation is the cornerstone. There's our biggest point. And if we just start more quickly adding stones around it. Go back with me to the last book of your Old Testament, Malachi chapter 2. When a marriage is founded on the rock, the cornerstone, Jesus is Lord. When a marriage is founded on the rock, husband and wife recognize marriage is a covenant. Why? Because God said so. Malachi chapter 2, last book of the Old Testament. I just want you to notice some of these phrases. Verse 14, the Lord has a problem with some of the people who were living at that point in time. And, and he diagnoses that and rebukes that and warns them. But I just want you to see what we can learn this morning from his language, because the designer, the definer, this is how he looks at marriage. The Lord was witness. Listen, you had a wedding ceremony in our country, in our state, in our society, in our culture. You had two witnesses. Usually best man, maid of honor. Two witnesses who were willing to put their handwriting down on a piece of paper as having witnessed these vows that you just made to each other. But I want you to listen to me very carefully this morning. Those were not the most important witnesses. In fact, whether they were there or not is really beside the point marriage is a covenant marriage was God's idea the Lord 
was witness between you and the wife of your youth. She is your companion and your wife by covenant. Verse 15, did he not make them one? Roger didn't make some of you one. I haven't made some of you one. There's not a human being who can really make you one. God does that. God makes one man and one woman one with a portion of the Spirit. Listen to the designer and the definer. Marriage is not an experiment. Marriage is not a test drive. Marriage is not just the next logical step because we kind of like each other and we think maybe, well, you know, at best this might be a dumb thing to do. So let's go ahead and, and get married because, you know, that's just kind of what people do. It is not a temporary arrangement with someone until something or someone better comes along. The Lord is witness. The Lord makes one. The Lord provides a portion of the Spirit. Go with me to the next book of the Bible. It's the first book of the New Testament. When a marriage is founded on the rock, Jesus is Lord. Marriage is a covenant if we will allow the master teacher to take us where this logically goes next. Marriage is for life. Matthew chapter 19 verse 4. Jesus asks People who are gathered in his presence. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together. Let not man separate. And that matters, ladies and gentlemen, if we go to the next gospel, Mark chapter 12, because listen, if I'm going to finish what was started, that's our, our theme for the year. Marriage is a new start in which God is witness. God is joining together. A, 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 a portion of the Spirit is in that union, and, and we're being called to finish what was started for life We've got to recognize this life isn't all there is. This is by no means a, well, you only live once and so you might as well be happy. Maybe you made a foolish mistake before. But listen, God would want you to be happy. No, if this was his idea, he's the one who does the joining. He says it's for life. We need to understand this life, our brief time on this earth, is not all there is. In Mark chapter 12, we won't take the time to read the entire context. Jesus is talking in verse 18 with some who don't believe there's going to be a resurrection. They, they, they think it's just this life. There's not going to be a resurrection. 
And so they come up with this challenging word problem. There was a man who had a wife, and that man died, and so she married his brother, and then that man died. And in fact, there were seven brothers, and they all married her, and eventually they all died, and eventually she died. So Jesus, you say there's a resurrection. In the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? And this is how Jesus responds. Verse 24. Is this not the reason you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? Not if, but when they rise. When they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to Moses, and listen, anybody who knows their their Old Testament, if, if Moses is here, well, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob lived way over here on the timeline. They'd been dead for a really long time. And yet God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. You know what he's teaching us even in this passage where marriage is used as a hypothetical? This life isn't all there is. There's more to come. I need to be really careful in this life that I don't mess up the life to come by failing to build on the rock. Listen, if you turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Acts chapter 17, when a marriage is founded on the rock. Roger, Lord willing, this evening will talk to us at 5 o'clock about to the marriage specifically, to husbands, to wives. But first and foremost, we're, we're just down at the level of the foundation. Listen, we are children of God. Before we're Americans, before we're fathers and mothers, before we're brothers and sisters, before we're husbands and wives, even before we are male and female, we are children of God. In Acts chapter 17, Paul preached in verse 26, this God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. But he's not playing hide and seek. He, he doesn't want to hide from you. He is actually not far from each one of us. In fact, in Him we live and move and have our being. As even Paul says, some of your own poets have said, we are indeed His offspring. You're married? You married someone who at times is going to disappoint you. You married someone who at times you lived long enough, they're going to let you down. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to hurt you. But first and foremost, when you look at that person, when you talk to that person, when you seek to be patient with that person, when you know that you need to show grace to that person, when you remember that you also need grace from that person, you look at that person through these lenses. That is a daughter of the king. He is a son 
of the king. And so I'm not going to depend on another human being to provide what only my creator can provide. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, speaking of that creator, wrote, He has made everything beautiful in its time and he has put eternity into man's heart. I want you to listen to me very carefully. We must not depend on any other human being to provide what only our Creator can provide. Another human being is not the definer of your life's purpose. Another human being cannot be the definer of your identity. Any other human being cannot be the reason that you get up in the morning. Any other human being cannot be the fuel for you to endure when life isn't going your way. Any other human being is not the standard when your wishes or your wants or even your needs aren't being met. Any other human being cannot be your soul's satisfaction. Any other human being cannot be your hope for the future. If you put that weight on another human being, it will crush them. It will crush your relationship. They were never created to bear that weight. But someone who loves you is infinitely able to. When you recognize that the ultimate aim of marriage is to honor Him. Glorify Him. Those males and females, men and women whom He created, Isaiah chapter 43, I created them for my glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're in love or struggling to feel love. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Understanding that this was God's idea and it's talked about all over the Bible. But it is so much bigger than two human beings. In fact, Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 said, you remember how God all the way back on page 2 of your Bible said those things that Jesus quoted? That's profound. And Christian, what you really need to understand is it's a shadow of Jesus and his relationship with his church. Which means we need to be very careful with these precious human relationships because they say much more about us. In fact, they say something about our Lord and Savior. All of which means marriage isn't ultimate. But Christ is. Now, no doubt, as Proverbs 18, 22 emphasizes, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. 
But I want you to hear me loud and clear. Marriage is not the pinnacle. Marriage is not the peak of human existence. Marriage is not what completes you. Marriage is not what makes you whole. Marriage is not what fixes you. Marriage is not what gives you a reason for being. But Jesus is. And God's revelation to mankind begins to draw to a close with a great chorus singing hallelujah for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. That, that fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. But even before we're introduced to that chorus, we're, we're shown how to be blessed, how, how to be invited to this marriage supper of the Lamb. Back in chapter 7 of the Bible's last book, these are or ordinary people who have their spiritual garments, their, their spiritual robes washed. We even sung about it this morning just before observing the Lord's Supper. The Lamb of God, whose blood was shed to wash away my sins. Jesus is real. Jesus is more real than Disney's Prince Charming. Jesus is absolutely more real than any Photoshop so-called supermodel. Jesus is more real than any human fairy tale. Only Jesus is infinitely satisfying. Only Jesus can help us lay this firm foundation where we can say even when rains fall and floods rise and winds blow I am His and He is mine. And He's going to help me finish what was started because I'm bent Building my life on the rock. We've been spending a lot of time talking foundations this evening or this morning. You want to get a good look at a foundation, you can't really stand and look at it from a distance. You got to get down on your knees. And only then can you get a good look. And so we're going to stand and sing in just a moment on bended knee, I come. Maybe you realize that you've tried this on your own and, and it hasn't gone the way that you thought it would. Maybe, maybe you're living in the backwash of some really hurtful, really sinful decisions this morning.
Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus, only Jesus, will ultimately satisfy. And so if you're done building on sand, if you're done trying to satisfy yourself with sand, if you're done trying to look to another human being to fill the hole that only God can fill, and we could be of some help in joining you to this King. Would you let us know how we can help you? By coming to the front while we stand and sing together.